0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, last week I spoke to you about the breakdown of an old world and the arrival of a new. When Jesus comes, all the fixed stars have to give way and something new has to emerge. Well, we see, I think, a very interesting application of this principle in our Gospel for today, for this second Sunday of Advent. St. Luke, and again, we'll be reading Luke all during this uh, uh, cycle C of liturgical readings. Luke, who is trained in the fine literary tradition of the Greek language, unlike, for example, Mark, St. Mark has a kind of rough-and-ready Greek. He certainly would have learned Greek as a second or maybe third language. But Luke was trained as a fine literary artist. And he was also endeavoring to write a biography of Jesus in the accepted sense of the term at that time. So, you know, our modern-day biographies, they're they're different. But what Luke is doing in his Gospel is, is like what an ancient biographer would have done. Well, anyway... Luke commences this section, our gospel for today, as one would expect a literarily informed ancient biographer to do it. What I mean is he invokes the most significant cultural and political players of that time and place. So again, read ancient histories and biographies. That's what you would do. You'd say when so-and-so was emperor, so-and-so was governor, so-and-so was, you know, during this, this time, these exalted players. So that's what Luke does. Listen. When Tiberius Caesar was the Roman emperor, he was king of the world. When Pontius Pilate, whom we know well, Tiberius' local representative, when he was governor of Judea. In the time of Herod, Herod being the tribal leader of the Jews in Galilee. When Philip, who was the leader of, of uh, Jews in other regions of Palestine... When Caiaphas and Annas were high priests in the Jerusalem temple, well, they were the leading religious figures of that period. So today we might say, you know, when when, uh, Donald Trump was president and when Jerry Brown was governor of California, when Francis was the pope, you're naming the sort of high and mighty figures. Now, not only does this situate the time and place for the story, but it shows a kind of due deference to these great potentates. You know, Caesar and Annas and Caiaphas and Herod and, and Pilate. It signals what? It signals the author knows how the game is being played and how to ingratiate himself with the right people. Politically and culturally speaking, he's named the fixed stars, right? But now wait, here's where things get really interesting just as he did in the Christmas story. So just a little bit before this in in Luke's Gospel, we have the famous Christmas story, which begins in a very similar way with an evocation of Caesar Augustus. This would be Tiberius's predecessor, right? When Caesar Augustus was Roman emperor, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Quirinius would be a counterpart to Pontius Pilate. So same thing. He did in the Christmas story what he does here. Having having honored all of the protocols of ancient history and biography, he now pulls the rug out from under us. He's named all these great figures, and then he says, and it's almost comical, really, the Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. See, what you're supposed to say, having heard all this, is, what? (laughs) That's the right reaction. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Caiaphas, Annas, the leading figures of the day, religious and political. Well, wouldn't the Word of God come to them? In their palaces, in their fine homes, and in their top leadership positions— Wouldn't you think if God wants to say something to us, he'd speak it through them? But no. The word of God came to John. Who's this now? John? The son of Zechariah? Who's Zechariah? Some nobody, a little minor level priest in the temple. And then, furthermore, in the desert. Well, I mean, we can get, I guess, romantic about the desert if if you're staying like in a nice hotel or a retreat house on the edge of the desert. But the desert, uh, the desert meant the place of of death and and wilderness and, and hopelessness. Gosh, if the word of God, the definitive guide to life were to come, it would come, one would think, to one of the fixed stars, to one of the major players But it came, in fact, to this nobody, this isolated oddball, this mad prophet wearing animal skins and eating locusts. And it came not in a palace, but in the desert, a place of lifelessness, a wilderness that everybody tried to avoid. What's the point? Being told with consummate artistry that the old world is fading away, where we customarily look for stability and direction, we should look away from that. The oddball prophet is the one who receives the Word of God. He's the one ushering in a whole new way of ordering one's life. Just as, again, go back to that Christmas story. Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, all the high and mighty. But the story isn't about them. It's about this little baby who's being born where? In a stable outside of where? This little town, Bethlehem. These two nobodies, Joseph and Mary. That's his point. See, that's his point. Don't look to Caesar Augustus with his great army. Don't look to Quirinius. Look to these strange figures. A new world is being born. How can I not think of um, C.S. Lewis's great line of Jesus coming so clandestinely, slipping, as it were, behind enemy lines? Something similar here, when all the high and mighty figures are invoked, but slipping behind enemy lines comes the word of God to John, the son of Zechariah in the desert. Okay. Okay. With all this in mind, let's attend now to the Baptist message. So we've been told that he's received the Word of God, so we better listen to what he says. Not the other people, don't don't fuss that much about Tiberius and and, uh, Pilate and those people, they don't have the Word of God, this guy does. So what does he say? Well, called from Isaiah, and from the prophet Baruch, by the way, whom we hear in our first reading, I won't have time to go into it, but It culled from Isaiah, Baruch, and others. It's likely familiar to all of us. Listen to what John says. A voice of one crying in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill made low. The one to whom the word of God has come delivers this message, make a road in yourself so that the arrival of Christ might be facilitated. There's my message, it's his message, it's mine, 2,000 years later to all of you. Make a road in yourself so that the arrival of Christ might be facilitated. Think of a traveler, it's true in our time, but much more so in in the time of of the Bible a traveler having to contend with an endless series of hills and valleys is going to get discouraged. I mean, we tend to, we fly over them in our planes, but in those days you want to get from point A to point B and in between you got tons of hills and valleys. It's going to just discourage you. What you want therefore is, is a flat surface, even this thing out. So to encourage ease of travel, We want Christ to come easily into our lives, therefore make the highway straight for him. Knock down the hills and fill in the valleys. So what does that mean? First of all, notice this, that hills and valleys are correlative, right? They're mutually implicative. To create a valley is ipso facto to create a hill, and vice versa, right? If you build up a hill, you're ipso facto creating a valley. They're, they're mirror images of each other. The point is now read metaphorically. There are some things in us that are too much, other things, correlatively, that are not enough. Some things in us have become unduly exaggerated, and other things, correlatively, have become improperly under stress or undervalued. The point is, knock down the first, fill in the second and you'll facilitate a highway for the coming of Christ. Okay? Now, let me get a little more concrete. If Jesus is going to become the king of your life, he's going to become, as I said last week, the one fixed star, then the excessive interest you have in pleasure, money, power, esteem, worldly success, etc., it's got to be knocked down. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me, too. (laughs) All of us, right? Like Lent, Advent is meant to be a penitential season. Identify the elements in your life that have become way too important. Listen, that have emerged as mighty hills or mountains in your life. What role is financial success playing? What role is worldly honor playing? How important is bodily pleasure for you? If they become mountains, you got to knock them down. you got to level those out. Otherwise, the king is going to be having a hard time accessing you. Now, as I say, mountains necessarily create valleys. If some things have become too important to you, other things have been ignored, undervalued. So... If the new king is going to have easy access to your life, those valleys have got to be filled in. Might I make just a couple of simple suggestions? What role is prayer playing in your life right now? How much time do you spend with the Lord in focused conversation? How often do you speak with him and listen to him? If that's a valley in your life, time to fill it. How much time in your life is dedicated to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy? How often do you feed the hungry, visit the imprisoned, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, pray for the living and dead, counsel the doubtful? I've listed a few. Look them up on, on Google. Look up the corporal and spiritual works. If you're underplaying those... That valley needs to be filled in. Okay, so here's the Advent lesson for today. Don't fuss with the Caesars and Pilates and Caiaphas of the world today. Who needs them? Don't worry about them. They're the fixed stars of an old world. That world's passing away. Get focused on the coming of Christ into your life. See, build the highway that makes it easy for him to come into your life. And that means knock down some mountains and fill in some valleys. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.